Finally, the weather prospects for the North region. A bright, frosty night is forecast. She'll be here at any minute. She won't the weather. It'll be colder than of late, but the severe northeasterly winds should abate towards dawn. And there is a likelihood of snow on the hill. Norman, Miss Moray... We can finish The there, further huh? outlook is for a continuing cold spell with falls of snow, heavy in places, likely to affect the entire region. There, that's her. This is the north region of the BBC Home Service. Now, tell her we want no pencil writing. Get it in ink. Henry you Hall tell her. And the BBC Dance Orchestra. Anybody'd think you were scared of her. All right, all right, I'm coming. Well, you're in a tearing rush to open up to a starving soul, Sarah Minshall. What's the matter? Is the house afire? Oh, Miss Moraine, I'm sorry. I came just as soon as ever I could. Let the old witch freeze to the doorstep. Is that what Norman said? Then you'd get a soft-headed landlord who'd drop the rent to ten bob a year. Or maybe not, eh? Here's the rent book, Miss Moraine. Well, let me into the hall, then. Can't see in this dark. Never mind my fingers dropping off with frostbite. Uh, j- just mind that step. It's right icy. Mm. Oh, I can see I threw good brass away decorating these walls for you. Some folk just don't respect other people's property. Norman decorated it himself, Miss Moraine, if you remember, and, and it's peeling off the walls because of the damp we've been telling you about. Damp? Ever, ever since... <laughs> Bad paper hanging, more like. This row of cottages has stood here hundreds of years. They're in the guidebooks. A charming group fronting the quaint old high street. That's what they call them. These walls are as solid as, as your Norman's head. Now... None of your nonsense, and let's see the colour of your money. See, it's uh, two weeks you owe, isn't it? Just let's get me pen. No, it's never. We settle up prompt every week, as you well know. You'd be a right rare one for this day and age if you did that. Ah, ah, did you write this time, as it happens? In pen, please. What do you say? You're writing it in pencil. Norman says you should write it in ink with a pen. Rent in a rent book. He can lump it, then. Then I must give you no rent. What's this? Am I suspected of some underhand devious malpractice because I've run out of the house without a pen? Here's a pen, Miss Moraine. What? And ink on the hall table here. I do hate to see a mistrustful woman, Sarah. You're a funny little buddy. Well, give it here. Now, give me the money. Right. Now, in ink. Received February the 18th, 1947, five shillings and nine pence. There. Satisfied? And there's your blessed pen. Thank you, Miss Moraine. Good night. Night, Sarah. Oh, there's just one thing. Norman. Norman Minshall. I know you're skulking back of that door. Minchel, I want words with you. Aye? Were you calling me, Miss Moraine? Do they tell me you're doing some work for that Mrs. Pedigord at the Shepherd's Pie restaurant? I'm, uh, I'm building an extension for her, yes. Well, just remember, you're supposed to be maintenance man at my mill, not odd jobber for the village in general. I don't run a mill for the convenience of a man setting up a business for himself on the side. It's the final warning, Minchel. And if I have to dismiss you, 
I dismiss you from this house, too. And I'll write that down for you in ink. Good night. Now, what's your footing on that ice, Miss Moraine? What's your footing? I hope she breaks a blasted neck. Come out of the cold, Norman. Let's get this door closed. Just a minute. What's she driving tonight? Blasted Bentley. Look at that. 75 years old, too mean to employ a rent man, drives around in a damn Bentley collecting a coppers. They wouldn't believe that if you put it in a book. Hell, oh, fire! She's, she's got a pull right out in front of that car! Miss Moraine! Look out! I dasn't look. Are they all right? Come on, inside. Norman, they might be hurt. Inside. The force she wanted as a witness in her favour. Are you all right in there? Madam, are you all right? It's not a blessed speedway track. Why don't you look where you're going? Are you all right? Is my car all right, that's all. Here, out of my way. Let me out. Blessed speed on. Uh, I should sit quietly for a minute. You've had a shock. Are you going to let me out? <sighs> and you can loose hold of my elbow. I'm no invalid. This road's a sheet of glass. Uh, right, Bash. This is going to cost you a good few weeks' pay, young man. I beg your pardon? Well, look what you've done to this mudguard. You can't replace bibs and bobs like that on a Bentley for ninepence, you know. Not to mention that radiator of yours. <laughs> Sunbeam Talbot, eh? It's not a speedway track. We've both got off light if you stop and think. A couple of hours' work for a panel beater, dab of paint, that's all. It'll go back to the works and you'll pay for it. Well, look, I don't want to stand here arguing, but I wasn't to blame, you know. I suppose you'll be saying I was in a minute. Look, I'm prepared to forget it. I'll bet you are. I've taken a bigger clout than you, and you did cut right out in front of me. I'll trouble you for your name and address. This is a reckless driving case. I think you're right. Name and address. All right, I'll write it down. A few some paper here. My wallet, yes. And a pen. Bernard Baxter. 19 Leopard Gardens, Hendon, Middlesex. There. And I'm putting up at the inn here tonight. The mortal man. That's right. And your name? Moraine. Martha Moraine. The Lead Hall. Two miles up the road on the edge of the moor. Moraine? Heard of me, have you? No, it's just the name, Moraine. It means an infectious disease of cattle, doesn't it? If that's meant to suck... Look, some... Miss Moraine, I advise you to go home, get a good night's rest, and get your car into a garage in the morning, and then forget all about it. It's a good offer. Listen, Mr. Baxter, I'm getting browned off with you. Will you please let go of my coat? Are you aware of my standing in Gimmerbeck? I practically own this, Dale. The chairman of the bench is a very good and close friend of mine. Let go of my coat. The village police sergeant and me have an understanding. We've no time for road hogs in this, Dale. Oh, oh. I warned you about holding my coat. You bullying devil. Strike an old woman of 73... I'll have you up for salt and battering. And could I just point out to you, Miss Moraine, or Mrs. Moraine, whichever the case may be, that under Section 16 of the Offences Against the Person Act of 1861, you just committed an unlawful assault on me by placing your hands on my coat. Good night. Baxter? Yes? You give me 50 pounds, and we'll say it never happened. Good night. Was the meal satisfactory, Mr. Baxter? Thank you, it was very good. Will there be anything else? Oh, you might put a couple of bottles in my bed. It's like the Arctic up there. That's been done, sir, and I've lit you a fire. Oh, thank you, thank you. Are there any other guests? Just one gentleman, Mr. Grinton. 
He pays us a call from time to time. Well, by the way, I'll be making a start at seven in the morning, so I want to call at six. Six? Breakfast at half past, orange juice, red hot porridge, and uh, ham and eggs, I think. Well, sir, ham and eggs, what with rationing. Oh, we're in the heart of the English countryside, aren't we? A pig in every parlour, a hen under every bed. Don't tell me you live on Walton Pies and Snook up here. There is the law, Mr Baxter. But we come face to face with it at every turn, don't we? Here you are. Would a couple of pounds help to defray any fine you might incur? Oh, thank you kindly. I'll see what I can do. Now, would you like to step through to the saloon bar? There's a nice warm fire in there. Lead me to it. That's the tap room through there. Local mill workers and farmhands get in there. I think you prefer the saloon. Just through here, sir. This way, sir. Oh, evening, Mr Grinton. Hello, Peter. Hello, Rector. I didn't see you come in. I was as unobtrusive as possible, Peter. Rose, see that Mr Baxter's well looked after. I'll just go and see how your fire's getting on, sir. Thank you. Now then, sir. Oh, uh, scotch, please, if you do have the real McCoy. Excuse me, sir. Will you join us over here and share the merry blaze? Thank you. Would you join me in a drink? Oh, well, that's very decent. Uh, a rum and peppermint, please. Good. And your companion? Oh, a pint of bitter. It's very noble of you. All right. Now, a scotch, um, rum and peppermint, and a pint of bitter, please. Mm. Right, sir. Um, here you are, miss. Bring our drinks over, will you? Yes, certainly, sir. Oh, look, do take my seat. Here, I'll move round a bit. Right. I'll stand in front of the fire until the blood starts flowing. <laughs> My name's uh, Baxter, by the way. And my name's Sinico, Arthur Sinico, rector of this parish. And this is Mr. Grinton. How do you do? Mr. Grinton's our local, uh, oh, I think the term is news hound. Forewarned is forearmed. <laughs> <laughs> Here you are, gentlemen. Ah, thank you, Rose. It can take me change, sir. Thank you. Well, your good health. And to you. Cheerio. And here's hoping you meet with no more little accidents. Accidents? <laughs> what? Is that the talk of the village already? It only happened three quarters of an hour ago. I'm paid to be a walking antenna, Mr Baxter. And you know how it is in a village. Kick one and they all limp. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I know your face, Mr Baxter? I doubt it. This is my first time in these parts. Well, I travel all over Yorkshire. Mr Grinton's the agricultural correspondent of the Yorkshire Evening Standard. He only pays us a call every month or so. A peripatetic post, you might say. Keep the party clean. <laughs> I move from town to town, digging out the farming news, village to village. I'll place you in a minute. I've never been in Yorkshire before. What brings you up here, if it isn't a rude question? I think it is rude, Mr Grinton. I'd intended uh, staying the night in Rigworth, but I hadn't, I hadn't realised how depressing these big northern mill towns really are. The Blitz didn't make much improvement, did it? <laughs> no, no. I just thought I'd push on to somewhere more pleasant, and I saw the sign, Gimmerbeck, 20 miles. Rigworth's my hometown and very close to my heart, oh, Mr Baxter. <laughs> but have another drink. Rose, my love, same again. Right. I suppose you don't realise you came within inches of making yourself a village hero tonight, Mr Baxter. Oh, yes? Gimmerbeck's dragon slain. The toast of this tiny Dalestown tonight is a 42-year-old... I didn't get your occupation. I didn't mention it. And you're a bit out on the age as well. Oh, you must forgive Mr Grinton. He's trying to loosen your tongue because the villagers steadfastly refuse to unlock theirs. They're a cagey lot, all right. 
They keep their counsel. But they'd have erected a statue to you, Mr. Baxter, if only you'd killed the old girl. Miss Moraine? Is she not liked, then? Rector, will you disabuse this innocent gentleman? She's a fellow creature, Mr. Grinton. Show a little charity. She's a greedy, vindictive, spiteful, grasping old... <laughs> In other words, not Mr. Grinton's cup of tea. <laughs> ah, drinks. <laughs> Thank you, Rector. That's a good rose. Chip it on the bill, will you? Right, Mr. Grinton, I will. Martha Moraine. Yes. In a way, you know, she's admirable. You'll have to hand it to her. This Dale's in the palm of her hand. Owns most of it. 30,000 acres or more. The mill, the tannery, half the cottages, and the souls of the tenants. Talk about Russian serfs. Her father bought the mill and gathered most of the land around him. I've ginned up on this family. Broke his neck on a horse in 1904 to universal rejoicing by all accounts but they cheered too soon. Just 30, Martha was, when she started her reign of terror. You know how she used to recruit labour for the mill? She'd go down to Rigworth or Bradford or Leeds, one of the mill towns, and get a job as a mill hand. And she'd watch very carefully to see who worked well, who pulled his weight, who was a good timekeeper, you follow? Then, when she'd marked down the cream of the workers, she'd sidle up and tempt them to Gimmerbeck. Pure country air, security of employment, a cottage by a beck. And then? The rude awakening. Exploitation, Mr Baxter. The threat of eviction if you put a foot wrong. I'll tell you, one of these mill hands, in about 1910 or 11, wasn't it, Rector? What? Uh, oh, the woman who died. Oh, oh, before our time. About 1910. Getting on for 40 years, anyway. Uh, one of the mill hands she brought up from Rigworth went and died... And Martha Moraine, no messing about, gave his widow notice to quit the cottage the day after the funeral. Winter it was. Night like this, I shouldn't wonder. The widow leaves her child with a neighbour, little boy of four or five, says she has to run an errand, and off she goes. Two days later, she's found frozen to death on the moor. What was the woman's name, Rector? Her gravestone's in a corner of the churchyard, but I must confess I haven't looked at it for years. What became of the boy? Is he still in the village? No. Back to Rigworth, I suppose. Relatives or what have you. Some said the woman called at the lead hall. That's Martha Moraine's house. You pass it on the way to the moor. They say she called on Martha to beg for one more chance, but got turned down flat and just wandered onto the moor to die. Hmm. That sounds a bit far-fetched. Listen, Mr Baxter. I could tell you more tales about Martha Moraine... Oh, than... really? Well, what about the brass band? Brass band? She confiscated their instruments. This is only about 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the Gimmerbeck British Wool Brass Band. Uh, quite famous in these parts, Mr Baxter. Most of the instrumentalists work at Miss Moraine's mill. They went down to a contest in Manchester and won first prize. Then they started celebrating. Well, next morning, I don't think one of them turned in on time at the mill. Next band practice, they go along to the old loom room where they keep their instruments and do the rehearsing, and their instruments have gone. What's this? Oh, says Martha, I've suspended the band for a month. Next time it'll be the sack. Then there's George Serum. Yes? A bit of an artist with a paintbrush. Only got one arm. Just about scrapes a living doing local landscapes, as far as I can see. He's one of Miss Moraine's tenants, little cottage down by the river. And she's taken him to court for non-payment of rent. No, no. Ah, but the thing is, you see, 
Sarum's wife says she paid the rent, only Miss Moraine entered it up in the rent book in pencil. Who would you believe, Mr. Baxter? Oh, bless me, eight already. I'm afraid you really must excuse me. Oh, Rector, I'd, um, I'd like a look at your church. A church? It's a hobby of mine. Architecture? I go in for the Norman period. Yes, well, we're Norman, all right. At least originally. We've still got a pure Norman doorway. The head's filled in solid with beautiful sculpture to the top of the arch. Oh, look here. Uh, come to the rectory for a sherry tomorrow. Uh, I'm, leaving, uh, I'm leaving at seven in the morning. I've got to be in York by ten. Uh, would you mind if I stroll along with you now? Ah, <laughs> you don't understand. The church is on the fell, you see. The fell? And jolly inconvenient, too. A stiff climb of getting on for a mile. Fortunately, the rector is down here in the village. <laughs> Sometimes the snow stops us using the church for weeks on end. The parishioners have never acquired my knack of climbing mountains. Ah, oh, Mr. Sinico's a man of many talents. He's the leader of the Gimmerbeck Mountain Rescue Team, for one thing. Don't let that dog collar deceive you. <laughs> you see, Mr. Baxter, the shepherd of Christ's flock in this parish must be a man of resourceful parts as well as strong and simple faith. Uh, now I must bid you good night. It was awfully nice meeting you, Mr. Baxter. Uh, I wish you a safe journey in the morning. Uh, goodbye, Grinton. I'll be seeing you. Good night. Skinflint. What did you say? Walking out without buying his round. Strange that. He used to be very free with his brass once upon a time. I believe his father left a very long stocking. Hmm? Uh, plenty of cash. Some good paintings, too, I believe. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the rectors gambled it all away. <laughs> he wouldn't be the first sporting parson. And women. What? Right now, it wouldn't surprise me if he's off to see Mrs. Perigord. Oh? Keeps the restaurant just up the road from here. The Shepherd's Pie. A very nice piece, Charlotte Perigord. Well, isn't he married? Oh, yes. Pretty happily, on the surface. Well, <clears throat> I think I'll take a stroll and stretch my legs. I've been driving all day. Where from? You know, I'd kick myself if I leave here without taking a look at that Norman doorway. What's going on in York? How do I get to it? York? The church. Are you serious? Go 500 yards up that fell and you'll die of exposure. The corpse road will be thick with ice. Corpse road? The lane up to the church. Nasty spot to break a leg. Of course, if you want to supply me with a crisp little story for tomorrow's first edition, Stranger Freezes on Fell... All right, all right, you've talked me out of it. I'll go and take a look at the village. Fresh air fiend, aren't you? I like to study the makeup of these little out-of-the-way places. In the dark? There's a full moon. Is there anything worth looking at? On a miserable Monday night in Gimmerbeck. It's just a typical Dales village, that's all. A hundred or two little stone cottages, a few Georgian places. This is the only village in the Dale, by the way. Has the Dale all to itself. Of course, you'll see a few little lights winking up in the hills. The farmhouses. The village is full of trippers in the season. Hence the home-knitted woolens and knick-knack shops. The place couldn't survive without tourism, really. Yes, I see. Well, there's nothing of architectural interest, except the church. Well, there are the remains of the lead mines up on the moor. 17th century, I think. But you won't be going up there tonight. Oh, and there's a little stone hermitage, like a tiny chapel. Supposedly haunted, of course. 
Very remote. Between here and the lead hall. Miss Moraine's place. I still haven't got my bearings. Well, it's pretty straightforward. We're in the village main street, right? The mortal man. Go out of here, turn left, and you pass the shepherd's pie, the last building in the village. Then you're climbing the hill up to the moor. On the other hand, you can turn right down the hill, through the village, over the bridge, and you're on your way out on the Rigworth Road. The corpse road to the church branches off just before the bridge. Yes, I think I've got the lie of the land. Well, we may meet later. Wrap up warm, Mr Baxter. Rather you than me. Your health, Mr Grinton. Cheerio, Doctor. Now drink it right down. Ah, oh. oh. <sighs> that's good. You can't beat a brandy. I suppose you've been hugging that fire all night. Who wouldn't? It's a night to make a black dog walk in white. Some of us have to go out in it. You've been working? i just closed the surgery and I was looking forward to a lazy night. And I got called out to Aysgarth. Over the moor? All in a day's work. And just think of the poor sheep farmers. Lambing time and weather like this. It was snowing like blazes when I left Aysgarth. Flakes as big as half crowns. Should reach us in an hour or two. Well, let me get you another brandy. Oh, Mr Grinton, you'll have me plastered. Rose, another brandy for Dr Dunsany. I can't have you going down with a cold. <laughs> well, it's oh. Mrs Perigord. You timed that nicely. Oh, good evening. Hello, Hilary. Hello, Charlotte. Rose, a drink for Mrs Perigord. Oh, uh, thank you, Mr Grinton, but I'm with the rector. Oh. Good evening, good evening. <laughs> have you been monopolising that fire all evening, Grinton? <laughs> Hello, Doctor. Yes, I'm still a chair. And one for Mr. Sinico, Rose. I think it's a rum, isn't it? And peppermint. Uh, scotch for you, Mrs. Perigord? Uh, yes, lovely. Uh, come and sit by the fire, Charlotte. Oh, just popped in for a nightcap. Oh, we've had rather a heavy evening of it, ploughing through the parish accounts at the Shepherd's Pie. Mrs. Perigord's our treasurer, you know. Yes. Well, I'll just move these chairs around so you can all get a peep at the fire. Ah, right, and I'll put this one over there. Fine. Mm. Uh, you sit there, Mrs. Perigord. Oh, thank you. Don't mind me. I'm toasted all through. Oh. Well, this is all very snug. <laughs> Charlotte, I don't want to spoil party fun, but speaking as your doctor, I think you're very unwise to come out on a night like this. Oh, please don't bully me, Hilary. I'm liable to burst into tears. Anyway, I think I've earned a drink. I don't keep a single bottle in the house now. You're doing very well, but you mustn't take any risks. Ah, oh, thanks, Rose. I'll take the tray. I'm rather cross with you, Rector. My dear Dr. Dunsany, you make me feel very guilty. Just as long as you remember Charlotte's still in a very delicate state of health. Oh, good God, Hilary, can't we give it a rest for once? <sighs> Dr. Dunsany, can you spare a minute? This Ooh. gentleman's been hurt. Oh, oh dear. What's happened to him? All right, Randall, I can... Stand on my own two feet. Stand the bolts, Mr. Baxter. Just keep a hold on me till we get you to a chair. What happened? Did you slip on the ice? I just ricked my damned ankle. That's oh, all, my dear Mr. Oh. Baxter. Here, take my chair. Mm. Now, we'll sit down. Ah, gently does it. My God, Baxter, I do believe you've been trying to climb up to that church. Came a copper, did you? Look, I'm sorry to cause all this commotion. My ankle seems to have packed in. All right. Let me take a look. Get your blasted hands off me. I'll just unlace your shoe. Hands off, I said. Don't be a fool, Baxter. The lady's a doctor. Well, are there no men doctors in this benighted place? Sorry. You'll just have to put up with me, Mr. Whoever you are. Baxter. Sorry. 
I just prefer being treated by a man. Oh, golly, is it ten already? Now off with that shoe, Mr. Baxter. There. Uh, Peter, could you get me a roll of bandage and a jug of cold water? All right, you are. Now, I'm just going to press here, Mr. Baxter. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. It's rather ugly and puffed up, but, um... Grit your teeth, Mr. Baxter. I'm going to give it a little twist. Uh, is it broken? All you're suffering from, Mr. Baxter, is a badly sprained ankle and a slight case of misogyny. Where are you trying to get up to the church? The church? Mr. Baxter's a student of Norman Doorways. All right, I'm an idiot. It looked perfectly straightforward to me. I'd only gone a hundred yards and bam, down I went. Lucky it didn't happen at the top. Stranger freezes on fell. Bandages, Doctor. Oh. Where do you want this job? Uh, Is he all right? Oh, just down there, Peter. Uh, he'll have to scratch from the sprint for a few days, but no lasting damage. I'm going to strap you up, Mr. Baxter. Uh, now, be warned, this water's icy. Oh, oh dear, this is marvellous. I'm supposed to be in York at ten in the morning. Well, you won't be driving anywhere on that ankle. Is there uh, anybody in the village who could run me there? He'd be well paid. Robin Lambert, apprentice at the garage. He might do it. Could you get in touch with him, then? I'll slip along and see him now. I think you'd better help Mr. Baxter up to his room first, Peter. Bed's what he needs at the moment. You might get him a stiff brandy first. Right. York, of course. I know who you are now, Mr. Baxter. Really? I knew I'd seen your face before. Inspector Morgan. He goes on trial at York tomorrow, doesn't he? Charged with murdering his wife. You're very well informed for an agricultural correspondent, Grinton. Yes, Inspector Morgan. He used to work for you at Scotland Yard, didn't he? You're Baxter. Detective Superintendent Bernard Baxter. Oh, oh, Charlotte, are you all right? Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, but my, my glass slipped, that's all. Charlotte, your hands. You, you really are in no condition. Just don't bully me, Hilary. Uh, I must explain, Mr. Baxter, that Mrs. Perigord has been under a very severe strain these last few months. Superintendent Baxter. Now, just a moment, weren't you? Yes, Rector. The Rosalind Withers case. Yes. Mr. Baxter's picture was all over the papers a couple of Sundays ago. I knew I'd seen him somewhere. Here's a drink, Mr. Baxter. I'll get that down. Thank you. The trial of Inspector Morgan. I suppose you'll be speaking in his defence. A new sensation for you, Mr. Baxter. Giving character evidence. Fine upstanding officer and all that. What a perceptive crime reporter Fleet Street lost in you, Mr. Grinton. And now, landlord, if you help me up to bed. Right. Now, gently does it, Mr. Baxter. Right. Thank you. And repeat the cold compress in the morning. Now you take it steady. Find your stick first thing tomorrow. And thanks for your kind administrations, Doctor. Glad to help. Watch your step, Superintendent. I beg your pardon? The stairs. You seem accident-prone. Well, a celebrity in our midst. Did you say Rosalind Withers? Was he really mixed up in that affair? Yes. Mr. Baxter caught the lady. And next week they stretch that lovely slender neck. Oh, don't be disgusting. A terrible waste, somehow. I wonder how Baxter feels about it. Hanged on two inches of turquoise cotton. Cotton? 
Haven't you followed the case, Doctor? There's enough pain on my own doorstep, Mr. Grinton. John Withers, a London schoolmaster, has a beautiful wife, right? Two children, everything ticking along nicely. Then one day she's off with a young American army lieutenant. Happening all the time. Rosalind Withers wants a divorce. The husband says no. He's a Roman. He wants her back. Anyway, Rosalind goes off to live with a yank and doesn't see the husband for, oh, six months or more. Then Withers is found stabbed to death at home, and it's no time before the police pick the yank up and he admits everything. Says Rosalind did nothing to do with it. Wasn't anywhere near the place. The experts go through the house with tooth combs and vacuum cleaners and Rosalind's in the clear. Nothing to suggest that she'd been there for six months. But Mr Baxter wasn't satisfied, oh no. He was intent on destroying Rosalind Withers. Oh, come, Charlotte. He questioned her for weeks on end. He put her on the rack. And then finally he went back to examine the house again and he found two inches of turquoise cotton. Is that right, Mr Grinton? Yes. Took down between the cushions of a sofa. A little cotton thread that came off a skirt Mrs Withers bought two days before the murder. She said she hadn't been near the place for six months. The cotton said otherwise. And it was enough to convict her as an accessory. He set out deliberately to destroy that woman. Charlotte, you're getting terribly overwrought. Are you suggesting that Mr. That he set out to destroy her, yes. And in the absence of evidence, decided to provide some himself. Baxter's been highly successful with women. Women? Women criminals. Said to have a peculiarly sensitive understanding of the female criminal mind. He's a monster, don't you see, that man? Oh, my God. Charlotte, are you all right? (gasps) Uh, From fresh hair. Oh, I, I must get out of here. Come on, Charlotte, we're taking you home. Oh, I, I can't breathe. Oh. My dear Charlotte, try to calm yourself. We'll soon have you tucked up in a nice warm bed. Give me a hand, will you, Redford? Yes. Can I help? Uh, Mr. Sinico and I will manage that. Uh. Come along, oh, Charlotte. There you are, my dear. Why should he come here now? That man knows something. Now, quiet, quiet, Charlotte. We'll soon have you home. Rose? Yes, Mr. Grinton? After that sobering experience, the same again. Hello, it's the artist and his implements. Ah, evening, Grinton. Well, Serum, I suppose you'd like a drink. You have one on me. What? Oh, Rose is just getting me one, thanks. And a pint of bitter for me, Rose. What was all that about? Mrs. Perigord, they were carrying her out. She had what they call a funny turn. Mm, She's been through the mill, that woman. Can't understand why she stays in this pestilential village. Take a pew. I'll just get rid of this gear. Do you have to drag all that stuff around with you? Easel, paints? Here, let me give you a hand. I'm not totally helpless. Here we are. Two pints of bitter. Thank you, Rosie. Keep the change. Oh, thank you, Mr. Serum. What's happened? Have you sold a painting? Let's just say I had a stroke of luck. Hmm. Are you going to win that court case against Miss Moraine? I'm not going to lose it. Cheers. Here's to art. You've been up on the moor tonight? The moor? Who told you I've been on the moor? I'm a perambulating antenna. They tell me you're painting the village by moonlight. Been up there one or two nights now, haven't you? How the hell do you keep from freezing to death? Brazier. And I, uh, I keep in the lee of the wall. This the masterpiece? Could I just have a peep under the cover? Get your hands off, Clinton. All right, no need to snap my head off. It it isn't finished. I'd like to write a piece about you, Serum, for the paper. You're a colourful village character, you know. No, thanks. It could sell a few canvases. I can survive without that kind of publicity. 
penniless, one-armed artist paints village by moonlight rubbish? Can't I find anything better to write about? In Gimmerbeck? Don't make me laugh, sir. Nothing ever happens in Gimmerbeck. Hello. Hello. Oh, thank God, I thought the line was down. Is that copy? Oh, good morning, Ethel. Stan Grinton, yes. Oh, just seven or eight paragraphs, yes. You ready? Right. From Stanley Grinton in Gimmerbeck. Thick snow was today hampering the search for a wealthy woman landowner aged 73 who vanished last night in the small Yorkshire Dales village. No, make that township. The small Yorkshire Dales township of Gimmerbeck. Population 410. New power. As a fierce blizzard swept down from the northeast, painting the landscape white and obliterating almost every landmark, the hunt for Miss Martha Moraine, M for Mary, U R R A I N for Nelly, was led by the local mountain rescue team under the command of the rector of Gimmerbeck, the Reverend Arthur Sinico. S I N for Nelly, I C O. New power. Miss Moraine has not been seen since leaving her home, the Lead Hall, as in Lead Pencil, on the fringe of Gimmerbeck Moor shortly after nine o'clock last night. Her housekeeper, Miss Alice Pegg, also 73, says her mistress left home on foot shortly after receiving a telephone call. Police are trying to trace the caller. New power. Snow started falling at midnight and has now cut the township off from the outside world with every roadway impassable and drifts of 20 feet reported in exposed places. New power. Among those stranded in Gimmerbeck is Detective Superintendent Bernard Baxter of Scotland Yard, who was to have travelled on to York today to give evidence for the defence in the trial of a former colleague, Inspector Morgan. Well, Mr Baxter, Peter's made you very comfortable. A snug little bedroom to rest up in, a wood fire, a good book. Is it a good one? Captain Scott's diaries. <laughs> what better for the snowbound traveller? They tell me Miss Moraine's taken it into her head to emulate Captain Oates. Captain Oates? When the rations grew short and he was holding up the party. Oh, yes. He walked out into the snow, didn't he? I'm just going outside, he said. I may be gone for some time. And he never came back. A gallant gentleman, as they say. Where the devil has she gone? Time will tell, Mr Baxter. Now, you just rest up for a few days. I haven't any choice. No. It's very kind of you to look in. How do you get about in this fearful snow? By horse. Much more reliable than a car. And how long have you practised in these parts? Just over a year. I took over my father's practice when he died. When he killed himself, actually. Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, an accident, you mean? Actually, no. My father had been overworking pretty drastically all through the war, and at the same time he was trying to build up a pony trekking school. He, he had this notion that once peace came he'd be able to give up medicine and make a fortune out of horses. The Dunsany passion for horse flesh. He built some very beautiful stables and a guest wing, but he overextended himself, physically as well as financially. I don't know why I'm bothering you with all this. No, 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 go on. Well, he... Well, towards the end of the war, he was in the thick of the big typhoid epidemic in Rigworth. 
He was running his own practice up here during the day and driving down to Rigworth every night to lend a hand in the isolation hospital. He got hardly any sleep, and he, he wasn't in his first youth, you know. My mother died in the middle of all that, and it just polaxed him. And then, about 18 months ago, three children here in the village died of influenza, and it seemed to prey on his mind. He took an overdose a few weeks later. My God, that is rough. And you were away when all this was going on? I was serving as a doctor in the Rennes. Overseas? I was in Egypt when he died. They let me out to take over his practice. Hmm. And the pony checking school? Oh, that's gone. When they came to wind up the estate, it turned out father had sold it to Miss Moraine. For hardly anything at all. Could you pass the salt, Mr. Grinton? There you are. Oh, thanks. I can't stand porridge without salt. I never thought a time would come. I'd be having breakfast two days running with backs of the yard. Have you telephoned your thrilling daily instalment? Well, I've got to catch up with overnight developments first. They'll never find you, you know. Really? Just a feeling I've got. Newsman's nose. She's gone down a mine shaft. Mine shaft? The lead mines. The moors riddled with open shafts. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Am I addressing Superintendent Baxter? Why, yes, Sergeant. Come in. Uh, close the door, will you? Sir, we've found her. Miss Moraine. Sorry, Sergeant, I didn't get your name. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Titus. John Titus. Yes, Sergeant Titus. I've just been on the telephone to the Chief Constable in Rigworth, and I mentioned that you were in the village. He's very anxious for you to take the case over, sir. The case? Whereas I'm the only policeman in the place, sir. The roads won't let the detectives in from headquarters. <clears throat> Tell me what's happened. About three quarters of an hour ago, sir, some lads and lasses were skylarking up on the Moor Road, sledging and snowballing before they went to school. One of them spotted this snowman in a field. On the right-hand side as you go up, between the little hermitage place and the lead hall. A snowman? Sort of leaning against this tree trunk. An old silver birch set well back in the field. So they started snowballing it. This snowman, the lads and lasses did. And a right queer thing happened. Its head came off. Only there was another head underneath. The lads and lasses had a bit of a start because it was a human head. Miss Moraine. Leaning? Leaning against a tree? Tied to it. Tied with green baler twine. Those poor wenches were in a terrible way. What with the empty eye sockets, all bloody and gaping. It's not pretty. What do you mean, empty eye sockets? Missing, sir. Gone. Pecked out, most likely. Crows. Just like when a sheep's trapped in the snow with its head sticking out. The crows come along and take their eyes. Mr Grinton tells me Miss Moraine received a phone call on Monday night. Yes, sir. And then went out? I've been trying to trace the caller, sir. You've checked with the telephone operator? Miss Lineburner, she runs the switchboard in the village, says she can't remember anybody making a call. Can't remember? Says she makes a point of not interfering in other people's business. Her job's just to put calls through and then wipe her mind clean like a blackboard. So she says. Have you worked on a murder inquiry before, Titus? No, sir. Just enforcing the agricultural bylaws and putting the wind up the poachers, eh? Oh, well. How long have you been in the local, Bobby? I, I came back in 1945, sir. In November. Back?
I spent two years in the Indian police, sir, on detachment. But you're a local man? Yes, sir. Married? Yes, sir. Children? Well, then... The sergeant had a boy who died just after the family got back from India. Isn't that right? Yes. The outbreak of influenza? Yes, sir. Well, I'm very sorry, Titus, but I'd like to know a little about the people I'm working with. Who were the other children, by the way, who died? The rector's daughter, sir, and Mrs. Perigord at the Shepherd's Pie. She lost her son. Well, I sympathise with you, Sergeant. Now then, <clears throat> we're just a little under strength, aren't we? Do you write shorthand? No, sir. Use a typewriter? Just two fingers. That's a nuisance. And I can't work from an armchair, despite this idiotic ankle. I'll need a driver. There's nothing to stop me driving about, sir. We won't be able to afford the luxury of going about together, Titus. There are jobs for you and jobs for me. Can you lay on a vehicle to get me through this snow? You can have my jeep, sir. But no driver. Grinton. Yes? You know your way around, don't you? You've been trained to observe. What? You can take down a shorthand note and rattle a typewriter, can't you? Now, just one minute, Mr You can Baxter. drive a jeep. Now, you know the people in the territory. Look, Mr. Baxter, I don't feel inclined to do any dirty work for the police. Oh, you disappoint me, Grinton. Eh? This is a unique chance in the life of a reporter to be right in on the hunt. Think of the story you'll have when it's all over. Are you serious? Are you one of those journalists who combine reporting with photography? Well, yes. Then you're perfect in every way. Could you go and load your camera, please, and meet us outside in five minutes? So, and Titus, bring a stiff yard brush with you, will you? Yard brush, sir? That's right. Where are we going? It's time we had a look at the body. Now, where did I put that confounded walking stick? Well, here's a picture that will never make the front page. What do you say, Grinton? Head and shoulders close up. Put people off their cornflakes. How many more do you want? Just fire away until the camera's empty. Is there any way of telling how long she's been dead, sir? It's a question of body heat and the degree of rigor mortis. And as she's frozen stiff, that's out of the question. Now, this brush, Sergeant, give it here. This is what I want you to do, see? Just brush the snow away gently like this. Gently does it there, just like that, until you get to the surface. All round the vicinity of the tree, right? Do it very gently, because what we're looking for might be very small. Well, what are we looking for? Just lucky dip, maybe nothing at all. Right you are, sir. Baxter. Yes, all right, I'm coming. I can hobble over there. Well, what is it? Have you noticed anything funny about the way she's tied up? These knots. Yes, I've been admiring them. Well, look at the gag. A bit of twig pushed through the knot. Yes, a very cunning slip knot. If I remove the twig and pull this little tag, the gag would just come undone without any effort. I think we'll find her hands are tied behind her in the same way. Now, come, round the other side of the tree. There, see? The killer got her standing against the tree and walked in circles, winding the baler twine round her and the tree a few times. Not too tight, you see, just so that it secured her without cutting into the flesh. And look how it's all tied up. One efficient little knot behind the tree. And a twig. A twig to stop it slipping. Just take out that twig and pull the end of the twine, and she'd undo like a statue unveiled by royalty. But what's the idea? <laughs> you tell me. Sir... Yes, Sergeant? Blood, sir. All right, I'm coming. Oh, this blasted ankle. Now, where's this blood? There, sir, under the eyes. Ah, two bright red spots. Bring that toolbox over, will you? Did you say blood? Where? There, see? Two little red spots, smaller oh. than farthings. What would you say? Eight to ten feet from the body. Is that blood? I doubt it. Here's the toolbox, sir. Chisel and mallet, please. Right. Now, just chip out this little... Square of ice. There. Now, 
to lift her up tenderly. Got it. Two little red spots sandwiched between two little panes of ice. Jolly pretty. Titus, just slide your hand inside my breast pocket, will you? You'll find a sheet of white paper and an envelope. Here we are, sir. Thank you. Now, I'll put the little pane of ice on the paper and fold it once, twice, three times, and into the envelope. Fine. Here you are, Sergeant. Well, what do I do with this? Take it back to the mortal man. I'll pick it up when we get back. Oh, and measure the distance from here to the body. But, sir... Yes, Titus? It'll melt. The ice inside the envelope. Yes, that's right. Now, come on, Grinton. I'm afraid I'll have to lean on you again. We'll see you at lunchtime, Sergeant. Where are you going now, Mr Baxter? To see Miss Moraine's housekeeper at the Lead Hall. Knock again, Grinton. I gather the old girl's a bit on the deaf side. What on earth happened over there? Oh, the stables. They burned down oh, more than a year ago. Any horses killed? No, it was converted to living quarters years back. Nobody there at the time of the fire, though. Oh, well, I can hear somebody coming. Ah, Mr. Baxter, good morning. And Mr. Grinton. Well, Rector... You certainly cover your parish. Mr. Baxter, I'm very much afraid the housekeeper, Miss Peggs, taken the news rather badly. Oh, yes? She had a sort of blackout. She's on the settee. I've covered her with a blanket and sent for Dr. Dunsany. Uh, yes, well, you'd better come in. Well, there she is. Looks as if she's given up the ghost. That doctor had better be quick. What the hell did you say to her, Sinico? I broke the news as gently as I could. What business is it of yours? Who told you about this murder, anyway? There's no need to take that unpleasant line, Mr. Baxter. Consoling the bereaved is one of my duties. And I imagine Sergeant Titus told me the body had been found so that I could call off the search. Where did Miss Moraine keep her private papers, do you know? Really, Mr. Baxter, my knowledge of this house is as slight as yours. There's a room there, a marked office. Well, come on. And you, Rector... Here we are. Now come in, Rector. Oh, very nice. A lovely outlook, too. Stand still for a moment, both of you. I beg your pardon? What do you make of that? On the carpet, over by the desk. What? Oh, a damp patch. Look, and another one here. Imagine, mucking up a beautiful antique carpet like this, with wet boots. Doesn't it offend your aesthetic sensibilities, Rector? I've no idea what you're driving at, Mr. Baxter. Of course, you've never been in this room, have you? No. I have it. Miss Pegg took a stroll in the snow and then came in here to wipe her shoes on this handsome bit of Aubusson. Do you know anything about paintings, Rector? Not as much as I'd like. These two, for example. Now, look. Unless I'm mistaken, they're very fine. I wouldn't know, Mr. Baxter. In fact, this one's a Delacroix. Really? Yes, and this one... Ah, uh, yes, a Turner. Oh, you're obviously an expert, Mr. Baxter. It doesn't take an expert to recognise a Turner. What were you doing in here before we arrived, Rector? I tell you, I've never entered this room before. Looking for letters, perhaps? Letters? Because if so, you might have tried the bookshelves. Look behind you, the two bottom rows, indexed box files, dozens of them. Ah, yes, that'll be the doctor. You'd better let her in. Of course. Right. Bring one of those files over, Grinton. Let's see if it tells us anything. 
This is the last load, Mr. Baxter. You're doing a good job, Constable Grinton. I'm just admiring Dr. Dunsany's pony. Mr. Grinton? Oh, hello, Superintendent. Good morning, Doctor. What is Mr. Grinton doing with all those boxes? They're box files. Miss Moraine's private correspondence for the last 40-odd years. I'm taking them away to study at my leisure. 41 boxes of bump. It's an absolutely appalling thing to have happened. Surprising it didn't happen long ago. What do you mean? She was a first-class candidate for murder. How's Miss Pegg? Well, she's had a terrible shock, but she'll pull through all right. I'm getting a woman from the village to come and look after her. I'd like to ask her a few questions. Well, give her a couple of days to get over it. Of course, of course. I'm just admiring your pony. Victoria? <laughs> there, girl. We'll be off in a minute. I put more faith in Victoria than in any motor car. A fell pony, isn't she? Yes. Born wild up in the Lakeland Fells. Do you know about horses? I had a brief spell with the mounted police in the remote past. I say, it's a very ingenious little knot you've hitched her up with. Have you noticed it, Grinton? Pardon? By George! Yes, it's a say. clever little slip knot. Held secure by a pencil, isn't it? Oh, that, yes. It's just to facilitate a quick getaway. Look, I'll, I'll get on and show you. There, little lady. Now, see, I just removed the pencil. So, and we're free to go. Goodbye, gentlemen. See you later, no doubt. No doubt. Now, here's your coffee, gents. Was lunch all right? Went down a treat, me old lad. What's all that racket in the tap room? It's the men from the mill, Mr. Baxter. It seems as soon as the news trickled into the mill, they all down tools. You can't move for them in the tap room. What? They just walked out? Declared it a holiday. <laughs> it's not been like this since VE night. Just ring if you want anything else. Celebrating. You're going to be unpopular, Mr. Baxter. Oh? If you catch him. They want to hang a medal round his neck, not a rope. <laughs> You seem very sure we're looking for a man. What? A woman? You think a woman's capable of a crime like this? I'm keeping an open mind. Excuse me, sir. Where's coming, Sergeant? Anything fresh? All the telephones are down, sir. My God, the first time in my life I get a decent scoop and the telephones go dead on me. And we found this, sir. What is it? It's Miss Moraine's hat, sir. A red hat. Where was it? At the base of the tree, under the snow. No snow under it? No, sir. It must have come off before the snow started. And so she was there before the snow came down, which was midnight, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Oh, you asked me to hold on to this envelope for you, sir. The blood. Ah, yes. Uh, give it here, will you? Do you mind, Mr Baxter? I've just had lunch. Look the other way if it upsets you. Now, open up. Well. You can look now, Grinton. No, thanks. It isn't blood, Grinton. Our two little spots of crimson are still bright and intact. Blood would have watered down when the ice melted. What is it, then? Is there by any chance an artist living in Gimmerbeck? An artist? This is paint. Oil paint. You say the wife's a bit feeble-minded. Very beautiful, but very childish. Miss Moraine ran rings round her. Yes? Mrs. Serum? Is your husband at home? Uh, George went down by the river with his sketching book. 
Who are you? I'm a policeman. Can we come in? Police? Well, George says that rent business is all finished with. Now Miss Moraine's dead, we're in the clear. No, it isn't about your rent, Mrs. Sarah. Well, I paid the rent, honestly, sir. She wrote it down with a pencil and then rubbed it out. Let us in, woman. Can't you see we're shaking with cold? Come on, Grinton. Well, George said to let no one in. What is it you want? Just show me where your husband keeps his painting things, his studio. Listen, Baxter, don't you need a search warrant for this? You suggest we have one dropped by parachute. What's through here? Well, you can't go in there, sir. George doesn't allow anybody in there. Yes. Ah, well, this is it, Grinton. Come and take a look. I say, there must be hundreds of canvases in here. An industrious man, George Serum. Well, what are you looking for? His work in progress. Yes, the easel over there by the window. It's covered up. Well, let's have a look at it. Take the cover off. Good grief. Miss Moraine, in her death agony. But good grief, man, he must have been there. Ah. And before the snow came down, still wearing a hat. He's rather good, isn't he? What? Well, look at that detail. The effect of the frost on the grass in the moonlight. All these left out are the crocuses. Crocuses? The field was scattered with clumps of yellow crocuses before the snow came down and covered them. Susan, what's that chief doing outside? It's the police, George. A policeman's here. The police? What the hell are you doing in my workroom? How do you do, Mr. Salem? My name's Baxter, detective superintendent. I think you know Mr. Grinton. We've just been admiring your study of Miss Moraine. Get out of here. Go on out. Just as soon as you explain this painting. Imagination. Oh, try again, Mr. Serum. Imagination. Together with what I pieced together from the villagers who saw the body. Well, when you're ready to tell me the real story, you'll find me at the mortal man, Mr. Serum. I'm an artist, Mr. Baxter. I've got a very powerful imagination. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Come on, Grinton. Good night, Mrs. Serum. All right, Sergeant. Now that we've cleared the decks a little, here's what I want you to start doing tomorrow. I want a railway timetable of everybody's movements in Gimmerbeck on Monday night. Timetable, sir? See every adult in the village. And make a list of everything they did and the exact time they did it from nine o'clock until midnight. That's over 300 people, sir. Well, take your time. Nobody's going to run away from here. I'll be spending the next couple of days combing through Miss Moraine's correspondence. When I finish that, you can start bringing the villagers in for a chat with me. All of them, sir? One by one. You can get off home now, Sergeant. It's getting on for term. Thank you, sir. Oh, and uh, keep your eyes open, would you, for anybody who's in the habit of using green baler twine. Right, sir. Good night. Good night, Mr. Grinton. Night, Sergeant. Oh. Pour me another scotch, will you, Grinton? Hmm. I still don't see why you can't arrest George Sarum without going through all this rigmarole. Could you tie those fancy little knots if you only had one arm? Well... He had an accomplice, didn't he? You know, you're not a bit like I'd imagined you'd be. Oh, really? Yeah, from that newspaper piece I read about you. Baxter, the scourge of the female criminal. I thought you'd be, well, brutal, a fire-eater. You were brought up in an orphanage, weren't you? Won scholarships to Oxford. Bernardo's to Balliol. <laughs> Give me another drink. All those women you sent down the line... 
Doesn't it give you a few sleepless nights? No. Don't you ever feel inclined to, well, to extend a bit of mercy? Mercy? I've never observed much mercy in women, have you? Well... You can get more mercy from a cage full of Bengal tigers. Well, take Rosalind with us. A lovely young woman like that. Ah, do you think youth and beauty should make us overlook wicked conduct? She didn't show much mercy when she abandoned her children, did she? Oh, I know what you're thinking, Grinton. Did he plant that piece of turquoise cotton that got her convicted? It never crossed my mind. Well, what if I had, eh? But as it happens, I didn't. Shall I tell you something about Rosalind Withers? She said to me one day when we were alone for a moment. Yes, I was there. Baxter, you bastard. But you're never going to prove it. Rosalind Withers did. But I did prove it, Grinton. <laughs> Mercy, a woman like that. Listen, what's that? What? Oh, it's a brass band on the wireless. No, Ark, it, it's outside. It's coming this way. So it is. I'll open these curtains and take a look, see. If you can stand the draft. Open away. I've become impervious to cold. Can't see a sausage. Frosted over. Open the window. Catch is stiff. Come on, open. Ah, got it. My God, the mill band. Marching through the snow. Up to their ankles. They must be mad. Look, there's a bonfire up the road. People linking hands and circling round the fire. A village celebration. Talk about pagan rites. They're stopping by the fire. I wonder if George Serum's there. Orange flames, black sky, the perfect picture for his clever brush. Snowflakes drifting down into the euphoniums. Who's that playing the cornet? Cornet? Oh, that'll be Norman Minshew. It's a great cornet player, they say. One of the mill hands? Yes, all the band are mill hands. Minshew's a great one for odd jobs as well. There's a lot of foreigners in the village. He's pouring his heart out of that cornet. I know. The Gimmerbeck British Wool Brass Band did her in. I don't want to appear rude, Superintendent, but I have already given an account of my movements to Sergeant Titus. And I have a surgery overflowing with patients waiting to see me. Laryngitis? What? Or possibly lockjaw? Lockjaw? Inability to talk. Dozens of them coming down with it. Oh. I've questioned, what, over a hundred people in the last three days? Can't get a word out of them. They're a bit on guard with off-comers. A man with a suspicious mind would diagnose a conspiracy of silence, eh, Grinton? The last three days have been a complete washout. Unless I blinked once and missed something. However, <clears throat> you say you went to Aesgar? Yes. What for? To visit a patient. She used to live in the village, and when she moved to Aysgarth, my father went on attending her. You started back at what time? You've got it written down there. Remind me. I left Aysgarth at about eight. The snow had just started. And then you rode back over the moor? Yes. Did you see anybody? Where? On the moor. On the moor? George Serum was painting on the moor that night. It's a big moor, Mr Baxter. You left the moor and rode down into the village? Yes. Past Miss Moraine's house? Yes. Past the field where she was tied to the tree? Well? Yes? If she was tied to the tree by that time? 
How do I know? Now, she left home shortly after nine, and you arrived here at the mortal man about 9.30 to 9.45. Yes. And yet you saw no sign of her? I saw no sign of her, Mr. Baxter. You could only have missed her by a matter of minutes, couldn't you? But I did miss her, Mr. Baxter. I assure you, I did miss her. It's very good of you to come through this appalling snow, Mrs. Perigord. <clears throat> Won't you sit down? <clears throat> and you, Rector. There. Uh, by the way, do you mind, Mr. Grinton, taking notes? Notes about what, Mr. Baxter? Well, just in case anything that might be useful crops up. You know, we've had something like 300 people in here for questioning over the last few days, and Grinton's faithfully recorded their every syllable. Would either of you like a drink, by the way? It's only five o'clock, Mr. Baxter. The bar isn't open yet. I have my own supply. Not for me, thank you. Mrs. Perigord, a small whiskey? Uh, well, um... Thank you. Yes. This weather chills the heart, doesn't it? I don't know how you feel, but I feel entombed in this place. There you are, Mrs. Perigold. Thank you. Yes. Seven solid days of snow and ice. They tell me half a dozen wild ponies were found dead standing on their feet on the edge of the fell this morning. Huddled together for warmth, poor devils. And we'd be in much the same way if the RAF hadn't dropped us those consignments of food. Could we come down to brass tacks, Mr. Baxter? Why, yes, Mrs. Perigord, of course. Could you tell me why Miss Moraine was blackmailing you? I beg your pardon? Miss Moraine kept a copy of every letter she wrote over the last 40 years or more. Just let me read one to you. Now, uh, this is dated the 9th of January, 1946. About a month after your son died, I think. Dear Madam, I am, as you know, ever desirous of diversifying my interests in this dale... And the Shepherd's Pie restaurant seems to me an investment which could be put on a sound footing given the benefit of my business acumen. I therefore propose purchasing a 50% share in the establishment, and for this I would pay £800. I think our partnership would stand proof against anything but a visitation of pestilence. I don't call that blackmail, I call it impudence. How much did you pay for the Shepherd's Pie? £3,000. And uh, when was that? I came here three years ago, February 1944. My husband was killed in the Western Desert the summer before. I had to do something to support my child, Mr. Baxter. You know, a lady ruined by the war and forced to turn her hand to trade. Miss Moraine wasn't discouraged by your first refusal, was she? By your repeated refusals, in fact. Look, uh, more letters. They came at roughly monthly intervals, and each time... This is the thing I find really puzzling. The price she offers becomes smaller. £750, £600. And always that curious remark at the end of her letters, I think our partnership would stand proof against anything but a visitation of pestilence. And then finally, two weeks ago, she offered £500 and wrote um, as follows... Failing settlement on these terms within 28 days, the consequences will be as unpleasant as a visitation of pestilence. Now, can you tell me what she means? Pestilence. She was mad, Mr. Baxter. Isn't that obvious? Um, could I turn to you, Mr. Sinico? Perhaps you could tell me why Miss Moraine was blackmailing you. <laughs> Mr. Baxter, you really have entered the realms of fantasy and penny dreadfuls. Would you describe yourself as a rich man, Rector? I keep my head above the tide. You inherited a large sum three or four years ago. How much was that? Well, 
19,000 pounds. And some paintings, I think. Just two? A Turner and a Delacroix, in fact. Yes. Which we saw the other day at Miss Moraine's. Yes. I have a letter here where Miss Moraine offers to give them wall space. She says the rectory is unsuitable, too damp. And if anything happened to the paintings, it would be as distressing as, here it is again, a visitation of pestilence. Did she take the £19,000 as well? Why on earth should she do that? You still have it? I'm afraid I gambled it all away, Mr Baxter. That was good going. The visitation of a pestilence, Rector, what does that mean? I really don't know, Mr Baxter. Could it be gambling, do you think? And we struggled up the hill to see Miss Moraine's housekeeper yesterday, didn't we, Grinton? Miss Pegg. She's still very low, Rector, but she did manage to tell us what Miss Moraine said about that telephone call that took her out of the house on the night she died. The fools agreed to settle. That's all she said. And then she put on her hat and coat and went out. The fools agreed to settle. Now, it could mean one fool or several, couldn't it? And then Miss Pegg said something very curious. I happened to mention the fire that destroyed the stables at the lead hall, and she said it was a mercy it hadn't happened while the sick children were still there. I asked what sick children she meant, and she broke down. I couldn't get any more out of her. Could either of you enlighten me about these sick children? No, I thought not. Uh, on our way back from the lead hall, I decided it was time I had a look inside the little hermitage. I understand it's church property, Rector. I'm afraid I had to pick the lock. That was an unwarranted trespass, Superintendent. What would you call it? A shrine? We found these three photographs on the, well, what do you call it, the altar? Three children. Why couldn't you leave the place in peace? I had to identify the photographs. Grinton didn't recognise any of them. And now you know, Mr Baxter. Yes, the landlord identified them. Your son, Mrs Perigord, and your daughter, Mr Sinico, and I believe this is the son of Sergeant Titus. We committed no crime, Mr Baxter. I don't see what connection there can be between our private griefs and your inquiry. You don't? A shrine? A shrine where you went secretly, the two of you and Sergeant Titus, where you went by night, furtively, light candles and kneel before the images of your dead children. Why? To seek their forgiveness? To make atonement to them? To salve your conscience? They died young. They were all we had. Influenza? You still mean to tell me they died of influenza? You could see the death certificates. Ah, signed by Dr. Dunsany Senior. Yes. Who shortly afterwards killed himself. The man who took your children to the lead hall where the stables were hastily turned into a hospital for treatment which ended in the death of all three. They died of influenza. And yet you carried on this highly peculiar and what seems to me very unhealthy form of child worship. And you go on torturing yourself, Mrs. Perigord. Your nerves have been in shreds ever since. And if I'm not mistaken, you go in for a good deal of drinking. Oh, really, Baxter? I lost my husband and then my son. Wouldn't you drink? <clears throat> all right. Just one more question for the moment. Mrs. Perigord. I understand you've been making big changes at the Shepherd's Pie. It, we're extending into the barn, yes. It gives plenty of work to a handyman like Norman Minchell, doesn't it? Minchell? Yes, uh, quite apart from his job at the mill. I believe he's a one-man building and joinery firm. He's doing your extension, isn't he? Yes. 
Now, I see from your statement to Sergeant Titus that on Monday you were at home all evening at the Shepherd's Pie until about a quarter to ten. Yes. And then you came here to the mortal man for a nightcap with Mr. Sinecker. You may remember, we met briefly. Yeah, we spent the evening going through the parish accounts. In your living quarters over the restaurant? Yes, yes. And you can corroborate that, Rector? That's what happened. Well, it's, it's, it's just that Norman Minshaw claims he called at the Shepherd's Pie about half past eight and could get no answer. But he never comes on Mondays. He said he'd left his spirit devil behind. He needed it for some other foreigner he was working on. There was a light burning upstairs, but he could get no answer. I do believe the wireless may have been on rather loud. He returned again at half past nine. Light still burning, but no response to repeated knocking and ringing. Oh, Mr. Minshall must be confused. Why do you keep Baylor twine, Mrs. Perigord? Baylor twine? Green Baylor twine. Grinton and I happened to take a look round your outbuildings a couple of days ago. It was Grinton who came across it, a roll of green Baylor twine. You searched my outbuildings? Why? It was in the old saddle room. But that face is onto the road. The doors are never locked. Don't you see? Anybody could have gone in there and taken it. What do you need with Baylor twine? I, I use it to cover lampshades to make table... Ma oh, no, what are they trying to do to me? Oh, just keep calm, Charlotte. You're perfectly innocent. Oh, innocence means nothing to him, can't you see? A couple of yards of baler twine, two inches of turquoise cotton. He'll do anything to hang a woman, don't you understand? Oh, Charlotte, keep your head. Perhaps she'd like another glass of whiskey. You really are beneath contempt, aren't you, Baxter? Come on, Charlotte. I'm taking you home. Oh, why does he want to hang me? Come on, out of here. There's nothing he can do to hurt you. I assure you. Right, I'm coming. Now, what's all this about? Grinton! Let me in, Titus, quick. Listen, it's after one in the morning. That's right. Knock your snow all over the carpet. Titus, listen. He's gone up to the church. Baxter has. I thought I'd better warn you. The church? Well, then he'll kill himself. Save us all a lot of heartache, won't he? He's gone on a ruddy horse. He's what? He was sitting there all night. After the rector and Mrs. Perigord had gone, staring into the fire and swigging his whiskey. And then, about half an hour ago, he suddenly turned to me and said, the parish registers. Parish registers? He said the rector would have entered the true cause of the deaths in the parish registers. Clever swine. Did he? God knows. And then he got me to drive him to Dr. Dunsany's. He borrowed her pony and started off up the hill. She let him go? He was in no mood for arguing. Okay. Now listen, Grinton. Go and tell the rector what's happened. Tell him to get his climbing gear on and meet me at the bridge as soon as he can. That's a lethal-looking shotgun you've got on the wall, Sergeant. Shotgun? Don't tempt me, Grinton. Now move, man. Titus! Titus! Not so fast. Are you all right, Mr. Sinico? I keep losing sight of you. This confounded snow... My glasses have fogged over. Only a few yards now. I'm whacked, Titus. Quiet. We're nearly there. Look. What is it? A light in the church. So Baxter made it. Any sign of the horse? Listen. Tapping. Kind of hammering. It's coming from the graveyard. Look. A little light glowing in the graveyard. He's got a lamp. Up to. Come on, 
Let's get a bit nearer. Quietly now. God, I walked straight into the pony. I didn't see it. Quiet. He's going this way. Who's there? Hello? Who's there? I've got a gun and I know where you are. Now, who's there? It's all right, Baxter. We're over here. Sinico? And Sergeant Titus. We were worried about you. Well, that's very considerate of you. You can put the gun away, Mr. Baxter. Gun? Oh, this. Take a closer look. A hammer? Yes, I've got a chisel too. You see, Rector, I was looking for your parish registers and hadn't banked on that strong old safe you keep in your vestry. I take it the registers are in the safe? Yes. You must prize them highly. So I thought I'd take a look at the gravestones of your children and see if the inscriptions gave any hint of the way they died. The stones are thick with ice. I've been trying to chip it off to see what's underneath. Our children were cremated. They have no gravestones. Then I've been wasting my time, haven't I? Come on. I want you to open that safe. Typhoid fever. Yes, Mr. Baxter. Down here in your own very neat hand. All three of them died from typhoid fever. That doesn't make us murderers, sir. I take it your religious scruples prevented you from hiding the truth in a document kept lying in the church, Mr. Sinico. Our children's deaths and Miss Moraine's are unconnected. I'm going to have the full truth from all of you. Mr. Baxter, listen. Not tonight. Tomorrow. Sleep on it, the pair of you. I want you all in the mortal man at ten in the morning. All of us? I want Mrs. Perigord and Dr. Dunsany there as well, and George Salem. And now, if you're fit, we'll be moving. You're taking the register? Naturally. You have another register there, Mr. Baxter, an old one. You surely don't need that. Don't tell me what I want, huh? Now, if you're ready, you can follow the horse. She'll show you the way down. We'll make our own way, Superintendent. You'll come with me. Well, Mrs. Perigord? Yes, Superintendent? It's ten past ten. Where have the Rector and Sergeant Titus got to? I haven't seen them since eight o'clock this morning. They said they'd try to be here on time. Try? Where have they gone? No, they didn't tell me. And Serum, do you know where he is? No. Dr. Dunsany, do you know anything about this? Perhaps they overslept. They were up most of the night, weren't they? Very amusing. Grinton? Couldn't say, Mr. Baxter. Bye. God, it bites your face off out there. Sarah, have you seen the rector and Sergeant Titus? No, why? Have they stood you up? Let me get to that fire. You're late. There's a blizzard, haven't you noticed? Kept blowing me back home. What's all this about, anyway? Will you all sit down? We'll have to make a start without them. <coughs> That's right. Close to the fire. Put another log on, will you, Sarah? Yeah. I hope your pencils are sharpened, Grinton. Ready when you are. Right. We all know by now there's been a conspiracy in this village to cover up an epidemic of typhoid fever. The question is whether this, in its turn, led to a conspiracy to murder. Mr. Baxter? Yes, Doctor? Did you say typhoid fever? Dr. Dunsany pretends ignorance. It isn't pretense. Hillary knows nothing about it. Really? Well, perhaps you could enlighten her, Mrs. Perigord. Charlotte, what in heaven's name does he mean, typhoid? Well, it started... Does Mr. Grinton really have to write all this down? Of course. It all started when Sergeant Titus came back from India. Oh, the foolish man was too impatient, that's all. They told him he'd have to wait for a passage, but he was anxious to get home. He, his wife hated the climate. 
And so he approached some people he knew in the RAF and they arranged him a series of hops home by aeroplane. None of this would have happened if he'd waited for the boat. There'd have been medical checks. We could see his boy was none too well as soon as he got here, but we put it down to the long journey. He played with our children a couple of times, uh, Arthur Sinico's and mine, and then he collapsed. Dr. Dunsany had a look at him, and, and that same night he called us all together at the lead hall. All of you? Uh, the rector, Sergeant Titus, and me. And Miss Moraine. Why Miss Moraine? Because of the mill. Dr. Dunsany was proposing to close it down till all the workers had been given medical clearance. Ah, yes. Go on, please. Miss Moraine had different ideas. Oh, we were fools to listen to her, but... We were distracted out of our minds. And she made it all sound so plausible. It was December, December 1945, remember. People were planning their first holidays after the war. We'd been looking forward to a highly profitable season. It wasn't even Christmas and the summer bookings were unbelievable. Miss Moraine said that the very mention of typhoid would ruin all that. And then she turned to Dr. Dunsany and asked him if he hadn't worked on typhoid cases. And when he said he had, but the patients had to be isolated, she asked what was wrong with her stable block. And it just snowballed from there. Dr. Dunsany was thinking of the capital he'd sunk into his pony trap. Oh, it wasn't just that. He genuinely believed he could cope. I don't see why Sergeant Titus agreed to this. A criminal deception. Titus came into the country by the back door, don't you see? He'd already committed a serious offence by sidestepping the medical procedure for entering the country. And the rector? Well, Arthur had very serious reservations, but he could see it would mean disaster for the village if the news got out. He said we'd just come through a hard war and we deserved some reward. And he had faith in Dr. Dunsany. But everything went wrong. It all turned into a nightmare. Three children died. The stable block was burned down because it had been infected by a visitation of pestilence. And Dr. Dunsany, already at the end of his tether because of what he'd done to those children, was sucked dry by Miss Moraine and decided to put an end to himself. Well, Doctor, you had a very powerful motive. Yes, Mr. Baxter. And if I'd known about it, I wouldn't have hesitated. You sins? At times, it may not be a sin at all. And you, Serum, do you share that dangerous view? Absolutely. Perhaps now you're ready to tell me how you came to paint that remarkable picture of Miss Moraine. I'd have thought you'd have worked that out by now, Baxter. All right. I was up on the moor painting when something caught my eye. You have a superb panoramic view of the village up there. Something was moving down towards the village. Something red bobbing along among the shadows on the moor road. That's Miss Moraine, I thought, red hat. Now, where's she off to? None of this was any too clear, mind you. It was mostly obscured by shadows and trees, and she was a good half mile below me but the hat kept showing in the moonlight. Next time I looked up, she'd stopped at the field gate. Then I saw that red hat moving into the field, and that did make me sit up a bit. And there was just a vague impression of another figure moving along behind her, but 
At that moment, the moon went behind a cloud. I started packing up my gear. Oh, and then I heard a horse coming over the moor. Yes. Dr. Dunsany. She went off down the road towards the village. On my way home, I had a nose round the field to see what had been going on. There she was, trussed like a turkey and stone dead. Dead? Died of fright, didn't she? You don't think I'd have left her there if she'd been alive? Wouldn't you? To be honest, I, I don't know. So, you calmly set about painting her picture. It was a magnificent subject, Baxter. And to me, it was, it was like dancing on a coffin. Why didn't you report this to anybody? And give the good man who did it no chance to cover his tracks. I'm not inclined to hand anybody over to so-called justice. Justice has a way of catching up. Sinico. Oh, good morning. Titus, where in God's name have you two been? I'm sorry we're late, sir. Nowhere of importance, Baxter, I assure you. We were just unavoidably delayed. Please go on with what you were saying. I was just about to say, Rector, that justice has a way of catching up and that the feeblest prosecution could tear all your stories into snowflakes. None of you. You, Rector, Mrs. Perigord, Titus, Sarum, Dr. Dunsany, none of you can give a faintly credible account of your movements on the night of Miss Moraine's death. Excuse me, Mr. Baxter, but Mrs. Perigord and the Rector were with me, sir, at the Hermitage. Which is what, 200 yards from where the body was found? And then there's the question of your movements. Isn't, isn't there, Mr. Baxter? My movements? Well, sir, your story was that you were trying to get up to the church that night to look at a Norman doorway. Only nobody saw you, did they? We've just been up to the church again, Baxter. That's why we were a little late. What? To discover what you were hammering away at in the churchyard last night. Your story about trying to read the inscriptions on our children's graves rang terribly false, you know. At any rate, we soon discovered the gravestone you'd been trying to deface. We interrupted you before you could obliterate the name, didn't we? The grave of a woman who froze to death nearly 40 years ago when she was turned out of her cottage by Miss Moraine. A woman named Baxter. Your mother, Mr. Baxter? Could somebody give Mr. Baxter a glass of whiskey? Here, I'll do it. There. Get that down here, Mr. Baxter. Thanks, Grinton. That old church register you brought down with you last night, Mr. Baxter, that was for 1909, wasn't it? The record of her burial. I suppose you've torn the page out and burnt it. A pity, that. What led to these uh, speculations? It was something you said to Mr. Grinton. You said the field was full of crocuses, yellow crocuses, before the snow came down. Except, as far as anyone knew, you never saw the field till it was covered in snow. I could have cut my tongue out the moment I said it. Grinton didn't seem to notice. And since then, we have been wondering about you, Mr. Baxter. But we were far from sure. We couldn't understand why. We haven't your brilliant analytical mind. No, my God, you haven't. Mind is lacking. Guts is lacking. Heart is lacking. A population of 400 fools and cowards. Cowards, Mr. Baxter? It wasn't we who murdered an old woman in cold blood. Forty years. 
And what opposition did you put up? Oh, what are you suggesting, that we should have murdered her? How many lives had she ruined and destroyed? Civilised people are held back, Mr Baxter, by their consciences. While their families and neighbours suffer and the wicked thrive. If you tolerate evil, don't you see, you're laying up trouble for everybody. There wasn't one man among you with the guts to say enough. So you calmly planned to come here and commit murder and place the blame on us? You're the guilty ones, morally. That's why I wanted you in the dock. And I think I could have brought it off, but for that one slip of the tongue, I'd have been well pleased to see you hang the whole village, if necessary, for cowardice in the face of the enemy. But planned? No. No, it wasn't planned. It was quite spontaneous. You'd better write this down in your notebook, Grinton. Mr Baxter, I'm going to have to ask Let you... Let him finish, Sergeant. No, it wasn't planned. I wasn't aware of Miss Moraine's existence until I arrived here that night. I knew my mother was buried at the church here, but little of her history. Didn't care, as a matter of fact. All I knew was that she abandoned me when I was six years old. I remember that very clearly. Her dumping me on a neighbour and not coming back. All my life, I had never forgiven her for that. Anyway, I was in Rigworth and I decided to pay a call on my birthplace, visit her grave. And then when I got here, I heard the full story. And I just decided that woman had to be taken care of. It was done on impulse, like all the best murders. I phoned her up and said I'd give her the £50 she wanted for the damage to her car. That woman would have gone anywhere for £50. Remember what she told her housekeeper? The fools agreed to settle. I walked up the hill, working out how I'd do it. Everything seemed to be on my side, no people about. I needed a rope, and the saddle room door was open at the shepherd's pie. I cut off a length of baler twine and carried on up the hill. After that, it was a piece of cake. She was just as weak and pathetic as all of you are when it actually came down to it. Went meekly as a lamb. I tied her up and finished it off with slip knots. The plan was to come back here and then go out to her at four in the morning. She'd be dead by then. I was going to untruss her. Those knots come apart quite easily, don't they, Doctor? And then leave her lying in the field as though she'd simply frozen to death had a fall, possibly, or some kind of seizure. By seven, I'd have been away from here. By the time anybody got suspicious, if they ever did, I'd have been forgotten. But I sprained my ankle on the way back. No chance of getting out at four to tidy her up. And then the snow came down. And then the snow came down. And it's still coming down. You know, the more... All at once, seems a very attractive place. Nothing but miles of clean snow. Mr. Baxter, where do you think you're going? Have you ever heard of Captain Oates, Sergeant? Captain Oates? Let him pass, Sergeant. Thank you, Rector. I'm just going outside. I may be some time. Well, what now? Somebody put a log on the fire. It's gone very chilly in here. 